Welcome to Your Story Matters, the show where we share inspiring stories from all around the world. After you've listened to this one, why don't you tell us yours? Share your story at yourstorymatters.net. But first, here's your host, speaker and writer, Angela Schaefers. Today I have the pleasure of speaking with Dion Johnson. She is a speaker, leader and mentor in helping midlife women. She has an amazing story to share with all of us that will leave you encouraged and inspired. She is also the founder of Women of Femfluence. Hi, Dion. Welcome to the show. Hi, Angela. So great to be here with you. I love everything that you're doing. I love that we're connected and that I'm able to learn so much from you and and be encouraged and inspired myself. I love the mission you're on to help women in midlife because we know that that's a particularly challenging time for us. So that's all very good stuff and exciting. And we're going to talk more about that, about what you do and some of your professional experiences so far. But before we go there, can you share with the audience some of your background story and history? Yeah, so... um... First of all, let me say that I really love the work that you're doing too, Angela. I have become so aware of the power of story. So Mm -hmm. anybody that's doing work uh, to help people to um, harness, understand, look at, embrace their story, you know, is doing a great thing in the world. So thank you for your service. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, so my history, well, I live in London now. I'm 47 years old and I was born in a little West Country town in England called Bristol. And um, I grew up there. Um, My appearance, from the very young age, my appearance was always like a big feature. I was born with a facial disfigurement. And uh, I spent a lot of my childhood in hospital. And... um, you know, having corrected surgery on my face uh, to correct my facial flaws. And there were a few other things going on in my childhood too, although it was great, it was a happy childhood, I never lacked, you know, my mum worked very hard. A few other things happened around that time too. One is that I was, when I was four years old, I was gifted an artificial eye. Mm. An artificial eye and dark glasses, and the aim of those were to hide my facial disfigurements it was to the the plastic shell was painted like a normal eye and it sat over my very disfigured eye and dark glasses would be really about camouflaging my disfigurement and I don't I really don't think any one of us could have foreseen back then how big a metaphor that was going to be for the way that I would live my life Mm mm-hmm you know, that I hide things that weren't perfect, that I cover up my flaws. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't happening just on a physical level as I grew up. It was happening on a very emotional level, on a psychological level, on a practical level of how I lived my life. Great insight. Yeah, like now, (laughs) Gordon Bennett, if I only knew then what I know now. Of course, of course. (laughs) But, you know, then a few other things that happened when I was a child... My mum and dad divorced, so my dad left. And, you know, my dad was the kind of guy that would come and protect me. My school was just across the road from my home. And, you know, when the kids got a bit raucous in the playground or if they 
say if I was having a particularly tough day, I'd literally run out of the school gate, run across the road, get my dad, and he'd come and sort everybody out for me, and I'd be all right for the rest of the day at school. And when my dad left, even though I didn't really acknowledge it then, didn't really have the words to articulate it then, I felt as though he had left me. And there was a huge bereavement that took place when my dad left. Mm. And my my mum kind of left too, because although she was very much present, she was working all the hours that God sent to look after us, put food on the table, pay a mortgage, you know, keep us living in a good area. You know, she really worked hard. And the third thing that I want to tell you about my childhood is that as a result of that, I was raised by my grandmother who, um, well, let's say, we, we didn't get on very well, and my gran really didn't make it known that I wasn't the favorite. And so, you know, although my childhood was great on one hand, there was these really big things happening for me, and I, I became very aware in those years when you're learning about your identity, learning about who you are, that in retrospect I can see that I learned some very powerful lessons about me. One, that who I am is ugly, and two, who I am is unlovable. So ugly and unlovable were the kind of ways that I saw myself. Actually, I didn't know that then, but I've come to know that in the work that I've done since then, that I, I saw myself as ugly and unlovable. And, you know, accepted it. Accepted that that was, you know, true about me, true about my identity. And I made a decision, uh, an unconscious decision back then, that, yeah, I'm ugly, and yeah, I'm unlovable, mm. but I don't have to show up like that, you know? I, mm-hmm. don't, I don't want people's pity, you know? I don't, want, I don't want to be this poor thing that everyone sort of, you know, you know, feels sorry for. So unconsciously, very, very unconsciously, I developed what I now call my self-created self. You know, she's a bit mouthy, you know? She was don't mess with me, kind of. Mm-hmm. You know, she she had a bolshiness about her. Mm-hmm. She could cut people down with her tongue. And if I ever sniffed that anybody was coming near ugly and unlovable Dion, I, I really didn't know how to defend myself. Mm-hmm. I fe- I, you know, my childhood was really spent warring with everyone, even though I desperately on the inside wanted peace and love. Right. On the outside, I was it just, I was, you know, like a Rockweiler, just, very harsh and Mm -hmm. very difficult to get along with my relationships really suffered and but it was my way of getting through the world you know my way of hiding shielding putting away the flawed me that I didn't even want to look at myself Mm. so so that's how I lived my life that's how I grew up I grew up with self-created self running the show Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you know she turned up everywhere that's who I went to school with that's who I went into work with, university with. She led the way. And everywhere I went, people knew my name. <laughs> everywhere I went, there was, you know, some, I, I stood out somehow. Mm-hmm. And um, everywhere I went, there was a kind of struggle. You know, there was connection issues, belonging issues, rejection issues, just relationship issues. I didn't seem to have any peace. Uh, and I didn't know back then that it was it was this double life that I was living, trying really hard to suppress someone mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. be someone else, you know. 
So this mask-wearing life wasn't easy to maintain. I imagine it must have been quite tiring, and at some point, just to a place of, I have no more to give to this, this energy that's that's not positive, that's not healthy. That's exactly right. I mean, that's exactly what happened. And, you know, that's the symptom that I see when I work with women now, that, you know, they're just battle-weary. They don't know what they've been fighting. They're just tired. And, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and, and when we dig and look behind everything, we find their version of life behind the mask, their version of pretending to be someone else, trying to live up to other people's expectations, you know. And it's very draining. Mm-hmm. It sure is. And I really think that so much of it has to do with misperception. We tend to go through life thinking that others are looking at us a certain way or thinking a certain thing or really embedding whatever their words have been towards us or the look they give us into our soul. And like you said, choosing to believe that that's the truth instead of finding our own truth. So I love everything that you're sharing because I think this is so typical of many, many people and especially probably even more women we just grow up with all these things that we're told we have to be and look like and act like and you know and then we have other things sometimes that change our appearance or affect us our health and things like that and that complicates it even further yeah absolutely and you know I don't even think it's always a conscious choice but right. I'm able to tell you this in a few minutes, just reel it off. But this has been years of me working out my issues mm-hmm. and seeing things more clearly. Like, it's not, I didn't decide to create that other self consciously, but I had made a decision unconsciously. And that's really, we're complex, you know, Angela, we're, we're complex beings. And yes. so unraveling this stuff does take effort and does take attention and does take time and effort and work. Um, I'm glad I've been on the journey of discovery and and rejuvenation and really discovering who I really am because that's what happened, you know, that after years of struggling with the tension of this unseen, unacknowledged war inside of myself, I remember having a car crash mm. and, you know, I, I was, you know, I was in a really bad relationship my daughter was unhappy um his step my stepchildren were telling lies to their mom about me and it was all too much I had debt and it was everything in my life just felt at all time tense high and I remember driving up to the traffic lights I remember seeing the red light I remember seeing the car stop but it was as though my mind had no more room in it to compute that I needed to do something else, and that was to stop the car. So I didn't stop. I forgot, just didn't remember to stop the car. And I went bang, smack, into the the, the the stopped car. And that was the kind of pivotal point for me, because Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what happened then was I, I kind of jolted into this zone of, I could hear my stillness and I could hear my own voice and I was saying, I just can't do this anymore. I just, I just don't want to be here anymore. I don't want this pain. I want this pain to stop. Yes. 
And um, I really don't remember anything more about that car crash scene, but I know that somehow I made it home. And that was my, I spent three days in my bed, Angela, three days in my bed. I don't know, my daughter was about nine at the time. I don't remember who looked after her, but three days in my room. And I remember reaching for my Bible and this book that I'd never been able to read before ever, I, I, I read it. And the words, I remember it opening up at the book of Matthew, and I remember the words having a voice. And these words, I'd never been able to really comprehend these the and thou and art language. You know, I didn't understand it ever before. But all mm-hmm. of a sudden, this became very clear to me. I understood that there was a, a voice attached to this that was coming out of this book. And the voice spoke to me very clearly. Look, I know who you are. I know where your heart are. I know how you got here. And I love you. And I care about you. And your life is meaningful. And you're beautiful to me. And while this male voice, I'd never heard it before. I, I, wow. I, I, I was gobsmacked, you know. Mm-hmm. And I wondered if I was going off my head. I wondered if I was imagining this. And I remember thinking, okay, like getting the revelation that I was having a conversation with my maker, my God. And, and it, was, it was very, very powerful, a very powerful encounter for me. And I, I said, you know, I don't know if I'm going mad. I don't know, you know, I don't, I'm not religious, I, you know, all of this stuff. And I said, I don't know if I can trust you. I don't know if I should, if I should listen or if I'm going off my head. I'll give you three months to prove to me that I'm not going mad. And this voice mm. spoke to me and said, three months, I'll take it. <laughs> mm. And that was really the beginning, you know, that this voice and me have been walking ever since. And I have been on this journey of being challenged by the voice to see myself differently, mm-hmm. to understand myself in new ways. And so it's this voice has led me into the understanding about the self-created self. This voice has led me into the understanding about, you know, my desire to be loved and, and wanted and the double life and the mask wearing and all of this. It's this voice has been leading me now 14 years into the revelation of, of what my life is really supposed to be about. Mm-hmm. And that brings us up to now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow, that's an amazing and beautiful story, all of it. And I know there's, of course, so much more you could say about growing up and the feelings and the experiences, but what it proves again to me, and which is why we do what we do here at Your Story Matters, is it shows us that when we go back through our story, when we heal from it, when we learn from it, we can often discover what our very essence is, and that is our purpose. Oh, and you absolutely. clearly have discovered that and are living out that purpose, which I yeah. love, and I'm so excited that you do that for yourself and, for, and help so many women along their journey. I yeah. think it's just critical that we all realize that it's okay if we're in those places of feeling like, Something's not right here. Something's not fitting. Something doesn't feel well within my soul. That's okay to be there. But the key is to unravel that and learn from that. And even if it might be painful, because I'm guessing that you probably had some pain in the midst of the healing of realizing who is this Dion woman and 
What am I really supposed to be doing? Yes. Uh, so many things you're saying there. I've got goosebumps. I'm so excited by listening to you. The power of pain is something I think I'll write about. Mm. You know, I really believe that pain and discomfort and suffering is the vehicle by which we become aware that something needs attention. Yes. And, you know, I, I, I've... In, I was in the medical field for a very long time and I learned and even met people who had nerve issues where they couldn't feel in their fingers or their feet or they couldn't sense um, pain or heat or, or sensation in their hands and feet. And those people would have dreadful injuries because they couldn't feel the normal warnings like people mm. who do have feelings, you know. Mm -hmm. They would step on things and not realize they'd step on things. I saw dreadful wounds of people who just didn't know they were hurting themselves until their eyes caught the issue because they didn't feel it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yet um, sometimes when we're feeling emotional pain or life pain, we want it to go away. But I think it's such a powerful indicator that, there's more to see here and so that's really one of my top tips that I bring to my work is that if there's pain celebrate there's something that life is trying to draw to your attention mm -hmm. now it's your job to listen and to unravel that mm -hmm. I you love know? that and I love the analogy because that's so true sometimes without the physical part we're just numb in our heart yeah. and soul yeah. And that numbness is what allows us to continue to be in certain situations that aren't good for us or certain relationships. Yeah. It allows us to continue to do the same old thing again and again and not yeah. have anything different come out of it. And that's powerful when we yeah. can stop and pause. Numb. We're, we're master numbers. You know, we, we numb with our credit card. We numb with drugs, with drink, with mm. sex, with with you know, comedy, laughter. We, we numb with so many things yes. uh, because we, we want to block out what really needs to be looked at. But, you know, I'm a living witness that when you take courage and face those things, in fact, one of my programs is called Face It because I realize the power of facing the painful places. Liberation is on the other side of facing it. Mm -hmm. You know, freedom exists on the other side of going to painful places in your heart and life. Mm, very true. What would you say are some of the ways, I know you mentioned reading your Bible and really understanding it suddenly after the accident and yeah. how things have shifted, but what are some tangible tips that you can give to the listeners who right now today might be really feeling like they're suffering, they're in pain, they're, they're locked up, they, they can't move out of this place that they're in. Yeah. Are there some tips you can give them to help start that process yeah. of healing? Well, first of all, the, the biggest thing that needs to happen is that you need to face it. Face it and admit it. Admit that you are feeling the way that you're feeling. Because when people come to me, oftentimes they, they say things like, I've been feeling like this insidiously. It's been increasing over the last six years or something ludicrous like that. So I'm saying if you're feeling like something's not right, they often say, you know, I just feel like there's more, or this is hurt, or every time I go into that situation, I start acting like an idiot, or I babble, or I don't feel like myself, or I feel weak, or I don't feel this. Like, 
you'll know when something's wrong, and the first thing that you have to do is, is admit it, mm. you know. And, right. and find somebody to talk to. Find somebody, preferably somebody who's skilled, somebody who is skilled at helping people to unravel and unpack and find the cause, the root of the issue. Because, you see, often, I was speaking to an old client, uh, not an old client, but a client who I worked with recently, just last week. And I said to her, tell me what it was like working with me and going through the process. She went through the face it process. Mm -hmm. And she said, coming to see you, Dion, was like coming to, uh, going to a doctor and saying, ah, oh, my foot really hurts, doctor. And then the doctor saying, the doctor finding out that it was the head that was the problem. Mm -hmm. So you see, oftentimes what's hurting isn't the root cause, that there is something behind it. Right. And it's about being assisted, supported to look behind the, the symptom to find the root of the cause. Mm -hmm. I agree. I think that's very, very important and such a good point to bring up because sometimes, and this kind of goes back to what you were sharing earlier and what we've talked about a little bit already, Yeah, we are not given that privilege, if you will, of saying, I don't feel good, something's not right, this isn't yeah. right, I don't like this, because a lot of times we're put into these boxes, if you will, of this is what you will do, and you will do it well, and you will not complain. You know yeah. what I mean? And there's just yeah. no other option. And so we put ourselves in that mode, and I think perhaps more so as women, of yeah. being caregivers, of being partners, of being you know, moms, whatever it is, yeah. maybe our career role. But yeah. there's no room for failure. There's no room for feeling upset or sad or feeling confused it's all just push 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 and move forward and be yeah, your best and you know and that's not always imposed from the outside right sometimes we impose that very very well from the inside and we have motives for that you know we don't want to be found out to be yes. or imposter syndrome is a huge deal there's lots being written about that right now and you know feeling like the, the front that I'm putting up somehow doesn't match what's really going on on the inside. So better not cause any attention. Better mm -hmm. just paint that smile on with the lipstick in the morning that says, I'm fine, and, you know, not draw any attention to myself. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, it's as, it's as much on the inside, this imposition, this expectation that we act out our lives, you know, fake in a fake way, as it is an outwardly one. Absolutely. I agree. I agree. So what were some of the things for you that helped you to realize when you started this healing process, I'm on this, I'm on the right journey. I'm on the right path. Things I had changing. this week about four years ago, because I was up until about four years ago, I was still wearing the artificial eye and the dark glasses. And, um, but it was becoming increasingly not okay to be doing that and I didn't understand it at all but my aunt died one week and at the time of my aunt's death we were having wakes that we're, we're Jamaican so in our culture we have daily wakes for nine days and over that period of time I met a girl who I used to know when I was a teenager and um, now she's got this 10 year old son she had 10 year old son at the time and we were talking one day, and her son was making, like, really weird faces, and he was fidgeting. And uh, she said, she said, 
you know, what's the matter with you? Keep still, can't you see I'm trying to talk to Dion? And he said, oh, mum, why does your, your friend look like that? He said, she's ugly. Mm. Mm. Anyway, when he said it, I, I had no clue that I had labelled myself ugly and unlovable up until that point. Mm. And when he said what he said, it kind of just winded me. You know, it kind of, it was like a punch in the stomach. Mm. But of course, I kind of just absorbed it and carried on as though nothing was really wrong. And then the next day, I was standing in church and these kids came up behind me, tapped me on the shoulder. When I turned around, they laughed. <laughs> they pointed at my face and then they ran off like the playground scenario. Mm. I couldn't believe it. I, I, it was really sore. I could feel a soreness building up in my heart, mm. and I didn't, I just couldn't articulate it. But you know, the boy called me ugly, and the next day the kids laughed at me in the in the church foyer. And on the day of my aunt's funeral, mysteriously, like very weirdly, I lost my glasses. <laughs> they just went missing. I, I know now that they fell behind the radiator, and uh, we didn't find them for three days, but, you know, they went missing. And I was really in a tiz. I, I tell you, Angela, I wasn't going to go to the funeral. I, 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 was, I was in a right mess and borrowed my sister's sunglasses, but I was very aware that this pain in my heart was growing, mm-hmm. and I didn't want anyone to look at me at the funeral. I felt very uncomfortable not my usual, didn't want anyone to talk to me. I felt my head hanging low, and mm, I pondered this. At the end of the day, I went into the kitchen to say thank you to everyone that had been helping us at the funeral to serve the food. And the same girl, my old friend from my teenage years, was in the kitchen. She was serving the food. I said, you know, thanks so much for your help. And she said, you know, oh, I just really want to apologize for the other day, Dion. You know, when my son said what he said, I could have just, you know, oh, I felt so bad. I said, no, no, don't worry. But my aunt, who was over at the sink, she overheard the conversation. And she said, oh, don't worry about Dion. She said, Dion's fine. She, she's been look, You know how long she's been looking like that from? She was a child. She's been looking like that. Don't worry about her. And then my friend said, oh, but you don't understand, auntie. She said, you know, my son, he watches Star Wars. He watches, you know, um, Doctor Who. He doesn't ever react like that when he watches the monsters and the aliens. So I don't see why he had to say that about Dion. (laughs) And it was like a tipping point. It was like, you know, all Mm -hmm. these little instances were just touching a very sore place in my heart. I just, Mm -hmm. I couldn't explain it. Mm -hmm. But that night I went home to my sister's house and I fell asleep which was very, very strange for me. I fell asleep with my artificial eye, not concealed. It was put on the dresser. And the next morning when I woke up, my sister said to me, oh, Dion, there's something really wrong. You know, Brooke, that was my niece, she found your artificial eye on the side, and she's really freaked out by it. She can't work out come auntie's eye is on the dresser. What's it? Oh, she really was freaked out by it. Mm-hmm. And I when I went to her, she didn't want to touch me. She didn't want me to look at her. She didn't want to look at me. She didn't want to hug. She didn't want. She and I just—it was like the straw that had, that broke the camel's back. That week had just been a week from hell, literally. Mm. And it, I ran to my room and I fell on my knees and I put my hand up in the air and I said, "God, something is really hurting." Mm. And then I just that voice again said. So what is all this covering up about anyway? Mm. 
why do you wear that artificial eye? And honestly, the questions that came really took... I, it was almost like it was, I'd never thought about it before. And they seemed like stupid questions to begin with because it's obvious why I cover up. Look at me. Mm. And, but the question kept prodding, like, no, no, tell me, why do you wear that mask? Why do you cover up? What, what are you hiding? When are you going to show up like your real self? And the, the answers that I came up with on that floor, in that room, really blew me away. And that was the first time I began to realize that I was really covering up my facial flaws because I really felt like I was so repulsive. It mm. would be cruel to subject people to the problems of looking at me for real. Like there was something so wrong with me for real that of course I'd have to mask it. Of course mm. I'd have to um, try and look normal and blend in and, and not subject people to having to suffer looking at me. And when I answered the voice and when I realized the answers that were coming out of me, I, I, was, I was blown away. I just didn't know that I was thinking that way about myself. Right. I, did not, I had no clue that I, that I despised myself that, that way. I, I just didn't know. And so that was really how I began to unravel. That's, I didn't know ugly and unlovable back then, but uh, over this last four years, it's been amazing because... That, that week from hell was actually a week from heaven for me. And it mm -hmm. really opened up the inquiry as to, you know, what's, what's really going on? How do, what's really going on for me? Why am I hiding? And that's when I discovered that I was hiding on many levels, not just physically, but I was hiding on many levels in my work life, in my home life, in my intimate life. I'd been hiding forever. <laughs> and... It just became so crystal clear that I began to share this story, and I began to share this story in my work with, with, with women. Mm -hmm. mm. And then I discovered that even really beautiful women, even, even women who had everything going for them, identified with this story, identified with hiding, right. identified with, with wearing masks, with, with playing small, with stuffing yourself out of the way with this misconception, with this double life, you know, confident and bold on the outside and feeling like a rubbish on the inside. Mm -hmm. You know, women began to fess up, Angela, to understanding my stories in ways that baffle me to now. Like, even now, I, women who I admire, who I have the privilege of working with, you know, they identify with this story in their own personal way. And, right. And, wow, that really blesses me and it encourages me that my story was not in vain because what's happening now is that as people hear the story, they're relating to and even identifying it in themselves and, and, and opting into the journey to uncover where that came from and how to, to, to move away from that. And to I call them big, fat, dirty lies, BFDLs, you know, to kick those BFDLs about who they are, about their identity, their true identity, out of their life, and dare to step from behind them. Wow, that's amazing. I love that, and I think you've hit such a key point for so many people. I, it's, it's just amazing 
that your story has evolved into this message and this purpose, and I'm so grateful for that. So what exactly happened as far as developing Women of Femfluence? Can you talk a little bit about the organization, what you do, how your whole story and your message and purpose fits in that? Well, I was... I had a company called fedupatwork.com. I was always really interested from the time I was, I was a midwife myself. For, for a long time, I was a midwife, and I got really fed up with it. And for a long time, I grappled. With, I, was, I really grappled with the notion of trying to explore something else to do. I didn't know who I was outside of that role. I, I could do it with my eyes closed, and I knew how to turn up every day you know, with a smile on my face as though I was okay, but I knew I wasn't, but I didn't know what else I could do. And so when I finally made the step to move on and decided to go into business, I knew that I wanted to help people who were in that same struggle, that Mm -hmm. same, you know, stuck in work that they didn't love or like anymore. So that was, I had to have personal experience of that, and I was helping other people through my work in fedupatwork.com. And then the voice told me that I uh, would be working with just women, but I didn't know how that was going to happen. And then I, my, that week from hell happened. And so all of this stuff was happening to me as I was running my business. So as I began to grow myself, as I began to evolve and, and my level of self-maturity and discovery was happening... I was seeing what my clients were saying to me. I was seeing it through different eyes. I was, so I was able, as a result of what was happening to me personally, mm-hmm. to have insight into, into, into new perspectives about what the, my women were saying to me, what my clients were saying to me at the time. And at the same time, I was meeting women that I'd worked with before who had had sort of you know, great relief as a result of our interaction, but I'd see them like a year later and they'd be back to where they started. It wasn't sustainable. And I became really irritated with that. Like, they're investing money in, in working with me and I don't understand why um, after the initial euphoria of the breakthrough, things can go back to their original state. So mm-hmm. I'd be meeting women who were, you know, fed up at work, got the courage to say, yeah, this is not working, and even made plans to what they might do in the world. And then I'd see them later, and they'd be right back where they started, or worse, or the same, or fed up in the new place. Just nothing, not really having changed. Mm-hmm. That bothered me. And so it's kind of like, you know, a, a coordination of, of different events. But what I started to understand was that sustainable change is not the same as change. Transformation is not the same as improvement. Mm-hmm. I started to understand that if you wanted to have sustainable transformation, that you were going to have to deal with, the, with identity. You're going to have to go right back to how you see yourself, what, what you believe about your true worth, about your true identity, about your true value, about the core of who you are. And, and that's why I discovered big, fat, dirty lies, BFDLs, I call them. Because unless you tackle how you understand yourself, how you, what you think you're capable of, what the truth is about you, then you can make superficial changes, but you, but you can't access them because you're flawed at the way that you see it. A broken self-perception 
can't sustain change. Mm-hmm. So that's how it happened. It just happened. It was happening to me, and I brought it to my work. And right. that, that's how I... Be, so I meditate on this because I'm going through it myself. But also, as I work with my clients, we're developing it. We're co-creating it together. My clients and I are co-creating this influence thing myself. And what I realized, Angela, was that if you are stuck and tolerating something that's not working for you, knowing it's not working for you, but acting as though you're fine in public, that's a big, fat, dirty clue that there is something going on with your identity, your, your self-perception. There's something going on with the way you see yourself, the way what you think you're worth, your value, that your, your estimation of your value. And what I... After thinking about how to, what kind of change needs to happen, I've realised that women need to feel that they 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 know they you know they know what they're capable of. They know who they are. They feel good about who they are, and they've learned the lessons. They've reframed the lessons of the past that are lying to them right now, and they're willing to make the contribution that they were born to make. When women come into that place, I call it femfluence, like feminine influence. Mm-hmm. When they come into that place, they are they become influential in a way that they they could never do when they don't know who they are. That's so, very yeah. true. Very true. I love that. What wonderful revelations, as you said, from your own story, and then you're pouring it out into other women's lives to help them and and give them the the tools and and the assistance they need. How would other people connect with you? What's the best way to find out more, to find some of your products and services, and to yeah. just hear more about your story? So my um, website is Dion Johnson. So my Dion is spelled D-I-O-N. Johnson is J-O-H-N-S-O-N. So it's DionJohnson.com, and everything starts there. You just fill your name in the Get Started box, and everything goes from there. Wonderful, wonderful. Dion, I'm sure we could sit here and talk for hours about your amazing (laughs) insights and the power of your story and how it's not only changed your life but others. But, of course, we don't have that much time. But I am so grateful for you taking the time today and for being on the show, for sharing bits of your story, for sharing your insight, which is just amazing. And I really, really, again, appreciate you for what you're doing. And vice versa, ditto. (laughs) Thanks so much, Angela, for having me. Thank you.